0: Hey, grab your Bibles and find the Gospel of Luke, all right? Mr. Luke, uh, does anyone know, for maybe a, a free high five or gold star or something, what did Luke do for his occupation? What was his job? Anybody know? Yep. He was a doctor, right? Doctor, doctor. Uh, <laughs> uh, by, I guess, more lofty terms, people call him a physician a lot of times. I don't know if they... Just didn't use do a doctor, but people always say the physician, Luke the physician, uh, which means doctor. So a pretty smart guy. And it's interesting that a physician of all people is the one to write to us about this story because it's about a couple of guys, uh, 10 to be exact, that were going through some pretty wild, crazy uh, plagues or a disease, whatever you want to call it. But Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be. Uh, meeting Jesus from afar. Like, wait, where's afar? No, 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 it's not a place. It's a location in, or distance, how far off. And uh, it's neat that the Lord's okay with us beginning our pursuit of him from kind of afar off, that we don't have to come to him perfectly, having figured out all of life and cleaned up all of our bad habits. We just come, even if sometimes, if it's from afar off, as broken or busted up as we might seem. But Luke chapter 17 Uh, Before we get into it, you guys have any questions about stuff going on coming up? Girls, make some sweet beanies for babies. All right, cool. All righty, let's pray and uh, we'll talk a little bit and get into this. But Father, we thank you that not only uh, is your presence just a reality that you're with us all the time, but Lord, whenever we open your Word, you want to speak to us. You want to challenge us. You want to teach us or encourage, and Lord, we ask that you would search our hearts today, Lord, that not only would be found acknowledging and loving truth, but Lord, we'd be loving you. And so, Lord, teach us to be more like this guy that we'll learn about. Ultimately, Father, teach us to be more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. Uh, Before we start reading through this, we're going to find out that amongst this group of friends, there's 10 guys who had been living a pretty decent chunk of their life together. Uh, Nine out of the 10 take this moment in their life for granted. Do you know what it means to take something for granted? What do you think it means? Help me out. What's your idea or definition to take something for granted? Yes. Okay, you just think it'll always be there. They don't take it serious enough. That's pretty good. Well, how else would you describe it? Yep. They don't appreciate it it enough, okay? It's just assumed that that's always going to be there, or maybe something special or unique uh, is treated like very common and normal. You guys nailed it. That's exactly what it is. Have you guys ever taken anything for granted before? Yeah, most of us do. I don't know if you have any specific stories uh, Two come to mind. You got one, Henry? What is it? What would you take for granted? Just that my life, I hadn't had any like, problems. Right. A lot of us take our health for granted, right? You could get in a car accident and be stuck in a wheelchair for the rest of your life and realize, like, oh my gosh, walking was such a blessing. <laughs> I, I'm never like, Lord, thank you for walking. Normally I complain, like, I got to walk all the way to the front door, like, <laughs> all the way to get the TV remote, all the way to. So that's good. We. Take a lot of things for granted. There's a few things I know look back at my life that were huge uh, that I took for granted. You have one? Yep. I think the, ability to breathe. the ability to breathe. Yep. You go into a hospital and see people on machines, you're like, oh, I don't have to do that. That's awesome. Sage. Parents, parents right? Yeah. A lot of times we complain about our parents and don't realize not everyone gets the opportunity to do that because they don't all have parents. So they might be a bigger blessing than you initially realized. Were you going to say something? Friends and church and everything. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Uh, I remember once when I was in junior high, uh, one of my math teachers radically transformed my life. And at the time, I didn't really understand or appreciate for years what was going on. I remember every day going to class, and by the time I hit middle of junior high, I pretty much just strongly disliked my life and thought it was horrible. And uh, she used to ask me every day, hey, "How you doing?" And every day I say, "Tired, I'm tired." I wasn't sleepy tired. I was tired of life, just completely worn out by it, and after, I don't know, a solid hundred days of just, hey, how are you doing? Tired? How are you doing? Tired? I don't know if the Lord showed her or what, but she said, oh yeah, you're tired? Tired of what? I was like, I'm busted. She knew it wasn't a sleepy tired. It was a life tired. Here's the thing I took for granted. Uh, it wasn't before long. I remember I was invited to their house and hung out and had dinner with her family and four kids and husband, and then that turned into almost every week for the next four, five, six years. It's incredible. She probably saved my life, but I didn't realize it until years had gone by. Uh, My mom did something incredible for us when we were young that went unappreciated, took it for granted. Uh, Growing up, there was myself, my sister, and my mom, three people living in a two-bedroom house. I know I've told some of you guys this before, but um, it wasn't until I was graduating high school that I realized, wait a minute, I had my own room and my sister had her own room, Where was mom sleeping that whole time? She voluntarily put herself on the couch so her kids could have their own rooms growing up. And it didn't even faze me for years. There's incredible things that God does in our lives that we take for granted all the time. We can take little things like the simplicity of walking and breathing and having one or more friends. They can be extravagant things like teachers and parents who sacrifice and go against the rules or the cultural norms but the reality is that God every day is blessing, preparing, and doing things. Uh, the question is, are we taking them for granted? We're going to read about a group of 10 guys who are in the same position, but one of them responds so uniquely. But take a look, starting in Luke chapter 17, all right, starting in verse 11. We'll read about halfway through the story and then uh, pause and talk about it for a little bit. But starting in verse 11, it says, Now it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when they saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. It's a weird, interesting situation. If you've never heard of leprosy, you might read this and be like, how did these guys be lepers. They were they like half animal, half man? What's the deal here? They're not half animal, half man. They're not leopards, okay? A lot of times we think of leopards. The animal was spots. They didn't become leopards. They were leopards. It was this wild, intense disease that's still around today, especially in third world countries, uh, but where different parts of your body for an unknown reason would begin to die. And this process was apparent only after a little while of some extraordinary aches and pains, but those places begin to turn pale or white. And not just because they looked different, but because that part of your body was beginning to die. And once it was beginning to die, it would begin to lose its sensitivity, it would become very numb and you couldn't feel it. And then eventually the blood flow would stop. And so that dead part would just decay, a lot of times get eaten off when you weren't paying attention to the rats around you. Uh, and you might wake up without a finger or a foot or a nose or so whatever may be dying. And eventually you would have this slow, painful, horrible experience of dying. Now, before that part of your body became numb and was truly decaying, uh, there was excruciating pain and torment. And the worst part, perhaps, wasn't the physical pain, torment, or awkward position you were in, is that when you were diagnosed, and this is what you were labeled as, you were considered unclean, uh, you were contaminated, you might contaminate everyone else. And so, hey, Pack your bag, whatever you can carry. You're going to live outside the city gates, over the hill, and in a leper colony with everyone else who's diseased. Kiss your mom and dad goodbye, except you can't actually hug them anymore, so just say goodbye and get. No more hanging out with your friends, no more getting a job, no more associating with people that you like. You're now living alone in this broke-down place with broke-down people forever. You're an outcast, waiting to die this painful, tormenting death. So being a leper, you can see, was not necessarily something anyone ever wanted to do. And here we have 10 guys who see Jesus coming through the city and respond so, so uniquely. It's amazing. But they see him from afar. When things have gone wrong, one thing you've got to know, you can still come to Jesus. You may be feeling like you're afar off. It may seem like God is so out of reach, but he's really not. Maybe everyone else is. These guys, they couldn't call out to mom and dad. They couldn't call out to their priest. They couldn't call out to anybody, but they could still call out, even though it was a great distance away, they could call out to Jesus. Yes, they stood afar off, but they still called out to Jesus. And then they begin this process of pursuing him. Look at verse 13. Who were they after? Who did they call out to? Jesus. Yeah, right? Everyone say, Jesus. Totally, okay? He, they called out to Jesus. They didn't just call out to a random person. They called out to someone specific. And they called out not just his name, but then his position. Look at the very next word, verse 13. So they called out to Jesus, said, Jesus, what's the next word? What'd they call him? Master. Good job. They said, Jesus, master, proclaiming this is the position that you have. We know who you are. We know you have authority and power. You're the overseer is what master means. Now, none of you would ever go home if you have a little brother or sister and declare them master, right? You're like, heck no, man. I'm their master. They do what I say. This isn't a term that we like to use. A lot of times people, especially kids and youth, they don't even like to acknowledge the authority and position parents have. Authority is something that we just kick against. Our sin nature hates it, yet these guys come from afar off being totally removed from everything that culture would have loved. And they say, Jesus, master, the overseer, the authority. It's neat. The same phrase is used in Luke chapter 5 where these fishermen, they go out fishing. Uh, It's a pretty cool story. And if you're familiar with it, let me know. They go out fishing. They fish all day. They fish all night. Have you guys ever gone fishing? Have you guys ever gone fishing? It's actually a lot of work. It looks like they're just standing there. It's actually, you're getting your fingers pricked with the, the hooks, and you're, you're putting the worm, or you're getting your dad to, or whatever, how that works, or power bait, but now it's stuck under your fingernails, so they're glowing green and smell really yummy. You got to lick it off, but that's not what you do. I don't know. Um, it's a lot of work. Have you ever guys gone fishing and come home, like, oh, what'd you catch? And you have to be like, Nothing. Oh, it's so humiliating. It's the worst feeling in the world. Well, these were fishermen by trade. They knew what they were doing. They were out in their boat. They didn't use a pole with a hook. They used these nets they would cast over. And all night, they were casting over, casting over, casting over, casting over. And early in the morning, they failed, 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 failed. And this guy's out there. And he says, hey, guys, how'd it go? What'd you catch? How humiliating. They say, nothing, nothing. And he says, why don't you try the other side of the boat? Now, you can either in your pride and your arrogance, like, look, big guy, I've been trying both sides of the boat all night long, okay? You walked up, we're trying the left side, and just because you didn't see us thrown on the right doesn't mean anything. So leave us alone. Or you can respond how they responded. It was awesome. In Luke chapter 5, they start, what's the word? Master. Same thing these lepers call out to Jesus. These fishermen are calling out now, whether they don't know, but they find out pretty quickly here, on the shore here was, Master, it was Jesus. We've toiled all night. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. See, that's coming to a point of calling God, not just a phrase, God is a title, but God is a position. The overseer, creator, and savior of my soul and everything I know, seen and unseen. God, the Lord, the master, is this moment of humbling yourself and recognizing he's the one who's in control. And they say, nevertheless. If you can say, look, I've been, I'm tired of nevertheless. I don't want to, but nevertheless. It's awesome. You guys ever read the book of Job in your Bible? You might think it's called Job. Okay. The book of Job is amazing. It opens up with this very quick uh, series of events that takes place. He loses his income. He loses his workers. He loses his kids. He loses his house. Everything just crumbles and dies in front of him. Uh, And within one day, everything is torn away that he loves. And his wife is still there. And now she's grieving too. And she says, you know what, Job? Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just curse God and die? Just give up, Job. Not not really who you want to be hitched to for the rest of your life, but you got to understand a little bit of what she's going through. In Job chapter 21, he doesn't use the word master, but he definitely displays the position that God had. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. To call Jesus Lord as these lepers were, as the disciples did on the boat while they were fishing, as Job has here, is to say, look, Lord, whether you give me incredible friends or you take them away, blessed be the name of the Lord. God, whether you've given me an amazing family or that has fallen apart in front of my eyes, blessed be the name of the Lord. If you gave me great teachers this school year or next year you give me horrible ones, it doesn't matter. Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. I remember one of the people that I was super close to for the longest of times, great friend. The other had a really, really good friend, maybe even a best friend, move far away. It's a horrible reality. And I remember probably one of the first people I ever got close to once I became a Christian, that was this guy named Jeff, and I, they moved to Colorado, and it was like, wait a second, what? He was in my wedding, we were close, he was an awesome guy, loved the Lord, loved his family, we actually lived super close to each other for a while. And I remember the last time we were in church together, they were leaving like the next week, and the song that was saying is, uh, it's an old school song, but it was this song. I don't know if know how it goes. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed, right? You give and take away, you give and take away. That's how the song goes. And you're sitting, you're singing, I'm like, Lord, literally, like, I could get super angry and bitter that they're moving, or I can be thankful for the years they were here. It's a difference of perspective, maybe. To call the Lord, Lord, means he gets to do whatever he wants, and you're going to acknowledge that fact. So they call out Jesus. They call out master. Look at the same verse, verse 13. What's the next thing they say? So Jesus, master, they called out to him, but then what did they call out for? They called out for, what is it? Mercy, Mercy, right? Have mercy. Everyone say, have have mercy. Okay, have mercy. Yeah. Look, the power to pardon punishment. That's what it means, that if you are in trouble, they can let you out of trouble. They can get you off the hook, in a sense, is what it means. Now, there's two unique things about mercy. One of them is to show mercy means you have to have the power to issue judgment. I can't walk into your house tonight and be like, hey, you're grounded. That'd be weird. Wouldn't that be weird? Some guy knocks on the front door like, hey, you're on restriction, no more TV. You're like, Bye. I don't have that position in your life. And so as they begin to say, Lord, have mercy, what they're acknowledging is, Lord, you have the right to bring judgment. We know we're getting what we deserve. We should be outcasts. We're diseased. But we're asking that you would pardon us of this. But here's the interesting part. In order to be asking for mercy, you have to approach with humility. One of the biggest things that keeps people from really seeing God work in miraculous ways in their life is the issue of pride. They just won't come and say, God, whatever you want. By asking for mercy, they weren't demanding it. They were simply asking. If God said no, if Jesus would have responded with a no, then they would have probably accepted that and gone back to where they came from that day. They weren't demanding. They were just simply asking but you've got to be willing. See, they're not standing so far off that Jesus can't hear them. They just have to be louder. You guys ever tell whispers? Like, hey. They're not whispering in Jesus's ear. They're standing afar off. They're in a public place. He's moving through the city, all this stuff, and they lift up with a loud voice, Jesus, master, have mercy. Pride would never let you associate yourself with someone like that in public. The moment you're willing to put God before people's opinion of you is the moment you'll begin to see God do some unique things that you could never describe, no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? It's awesome. Now, when you think of God, I don't know about you guys, uh, when you think of God, the character of God, think about your best friend real quick. Just think about him. What's his personality like or what's her personality like? Is she outgoing? Is she an extrovert, an introvert? Is she funny? Is she boring? Is she not boring? What is it? Dull? Is that, 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 I'm not in a mean way. You know what I mean? Are they athletic? Are they studious? Whatever. Now, someone tell me about your friend. What's your best friend like? Don't give me a name. Dull? Your friend just kind of, it's like, just go with the flow and doesn't make waves and just rolls with it? All right. What else? Funny? funny. What else is she other than funny? Stubborn? stubborn. Okay. Funny and stubborn. Outgoing. Outgoing? And what else? Give me one more trait. Uh, really, kind. really kind. Outgoing and kind. All right, guys. Isaac. Let's go. Just let's go? That's his attitude? Yeah, no, that's good. Nice. What else? <laughs> Just nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's nice. What is he? He's got many ideas. Super creative. Okay, cool. Oh, they're, fine and I don't know. they're kind and funny. Kind and funny, all right? Joel, were you going to say something? I thought you say... Were... social. Social, okay. Yes. Level-headed. Level-headed. <laughs> So, look, we know our friends, right? Now, you guys could describe yourselves. You'd be like, well, I'm smart and funny and amazing. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't know how you would describe yourselves, but we could, if we took a minute and let our brains just gather up some ideas, we know we could describe ourselves. Guys, we should, at some point in our walk with God, know how to describe him the same way. Oh, I know God. The same way, you'd be like, I know my best friend, or I know myself. I know the Lord. Oh, man, he's powerful, and he's You want to talk about smart, he knows all things. He's an all-knowing God and he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. And you can begin to go through this incredible list of knowing the Lord, that he's loving and compassionate, but man, he's holy. He knows what's right and what's wrong and he won't tolerate uh, sin, but man, he's so, so kind. Well, there's two things that usually just don't come to the forefront of my mind, at least when I think of God, but they're so important. One is this idea of mercy, that God is a merciful God. You guys ever read through parts of the Old Testament? Maybe Genesis or Exodus. Uh, I hope, guys guys especially, read through 1 Samuel. It's just all these amazing stories of wars and battles and triumph and victory and God using the no one to do something incredible. And all along the way, you see these great victories, these triumphs, these battles, this opposition. And if you look close enough, the entire thing is seasoned with God's mercy. It's incredible. Now, I don't know about you. I'm sure you've experienced when your friend group has a problem, someone talked too much smack about somebody else and was gossiping behind their back, or, you know, everyone went off to Disneyland and didn't invite you, or it's like, oh, that's it. I ain't their friend no more. Like, okay, calm down. Look, if I was the Lord, which by his grace, I never am or will be, but when people turn their back on you, don't you just want to kind of like call down fire from heaven and that's the end of it? You're like, I'm just going to show them. Okay, Hold on a second. The Lord literally leads the nation of Israel out of Egypt, overpowers Pharaoh and his mighty army. He feeds them miraculously every day in the desert. He's leading them to the promised land. And the children of Israel, whom God has so divinely provided for, protected, and prepared their future, they say, oh, you know what? Sounds nice. Let's worship idols now. Let's participate in worshiping false gods. Let's turn away from the living God who's done all of this amazing stuff and engage in very wicked forms of worship. If I was the Lord, I'd be like, I'm just going to zap you, you, you. What does God do? as they turn away after other gods. says, okay, I'm going to have to discipline you now. But in the midst of your trouble, there's still mercy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, but from there, from that place of trouble, that place of trial, that place of wandering away from the Lord, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the later days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. God says, even when you turn your back on me, there's going to be trouble. But when you turn and you seek me, you'll find me. I will not destroy you. I will not wipe you off the face of the planet. I will draw you in. Psalms 103 verse 8, awesome. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Abounding. What do you mean? It means overwhelming, more than you could possibly imagine. How much mercy does God have? How patient is he with us? It's like trying to describe how much water the ocean contains like i don't know how many swimming pools the ocean could fill i i don't know how many i don't know a lot of water an unending immeasurable amount or saying how much space is actually in outer space like i don't know more than you could possibly imagine to wrap your mind around. How merciful is God to those who even turn their backs on him? Man, more merciful than you could ever measure out or possibly wrap your mind around. And these 10 lepers who the entire community had outcast and they're just withering away and dying on the side of some hill somewhere, they come and they call out, even those from a great distance, and they say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. It's amazing. Lord has mercy on us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. See, God's a God of mercies, but he's also a God of comfort. God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulation. I don't know if you've ever heard the cry of a little kid going through one of their first nightmares, but it's an odd cry. They don't need to be able to describe what's going on. They don't need to see Dad help. I'm having a nightmare they just make a noise. And mom and dad are there so fast. Could you imagine a father who's like, oh, baby's screaming. Sounds like he thinks he's getting eaten by dragons or something. Man, that's a bad dream. Oh, I'm going to wait until he says, excuse me, father, would you please come and help me now? What kind of dad is that? That's a horrible dad. That when a baby begins to cry, it takes about half a second. It's almost like parents don't even move. they just the blanket comes off, they don't even hit the ground, they just show up and they pick up the baby and they begin to hold it until it calms down and falls back asleep. How does the Lord do it? I don't know, but when you call out, even from afar, even if you feel like, man, I'm not worthy and I don't know if God loves me and oh, come on, just call out. He'll be there instantly. He will show up. He is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulation. It says, they lifted up their voice. They didn't hide it. They just went for it. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. You guys are still there? we we'll read verse 14 through 16. It says, So when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. It's an odd response, don't you think? I ask for mercy. Help me out. Heal me. And you tell me to go check in with the priests? I'll explain it in a minute. Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, okay, as they went, I would seriously underline that if it was my Bible. As they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. What's going on here? I mean, it's an amazing story just that they would call out, just that they would cry out. But now their response, the response is kind of different. He says, hey, why don't you go show yourself to the priest? Like, Is that a yes or a no? I don't, I don't know what's going on here. See, the priest was an interesting person in the role of the story. The priest is where you would go. If you thought that you were healthy and that you were cured and that you were made clean, you would go back and the priest would look you over and be like, okay, you're actually clean and you can go back into society. That pretty much never happened. But if you were gonna try to go back home to see your family, to get re-engaged in the culture and go hang out with your friends and maybe get a job and and whatever. The priest is who would give you the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And they say, Jesus, have mercy. And he doesn't say, okay. He doesn't say no. He just says, go show yourself to the priest. There's something super important about this story right here, okay? If there wasn't any obedience, this would be the end of the story. If there wasn't any obedience, this would be the end of the story. It wasn't until they heard what Jesus said, they could look at their hands like, I'm still rotting, I'm still decaying, I'm still in pain. Why would I go show myself to the priest? I'm not healed yet. If they wouldn't have obeyed, it would have been the end of the story but they obey him. Obedience is probably the most important part of following God. It's what changes someone from a boring Sunday religious activity to a life transforming everyday alive in God, understanding and experience of being saved by God. It's incredible. And so they obey, not because it made sense, but because Jesus said to. Go show yourself to the priests. And they go, and it says, on the way, they were made whole. Could you imagine? You're walking, your your buddy's limping, you're just like, oh, man. And all of a sudden, your shoulder doesn't hurt, and you're like, whoa, crazy. Dude, Tom, you're not limping anymore. Jerry, your nose is back. What in the world? Like, oh, my gosh, I feel amazing, and the white spots are gone, and oh, And then, I don't know, I don't know. It doesn't say a whole lot about it, but they're going, I'm sure they were excited. I'm sure they were anticipating the future and seeing their family again. I'm sure they were rejoicing and they were talking. Who was that? I mean, know he's Jesus, but wow. What they don't seem to recognize is one of them isn't there anymore. One of the guys dropped off and we'll take a look at him in a minute. He came back and he gave Jesus, he gave God glory. It's a word we hear about in church and read about in the Bible like all the time, but to truly give glory to someone. It's an extravagant act. He comes back in public, falls down at his feet, and begins to cry with a loud voice and begin to honor him and give him glory. This is awesome. Why don't we do that? We'll focus on the other nine here for a minute. They just keep going. I'm sure they made it to the priest, and they made it home, and then they got a job and a wonderful life. And look, In all reality, the Lord's okay with that. Did God say, go get healed, and then for step one, promise to come back and tell me I'm awesome? Jesus didn't do that. He didn't say, here's a requirement. You're going to go, and you're going to come back, and you're going to worship me after. Do you understand? He didn't say that. That wasn't a requirement. It wasn't even a request. Hey, would you guys mind come back and just, you know, let me know how things go? It wasn't a requirement. It wasn't a request. God loves you no matter what you do with it. God loves you no matter what you do with it. Many people will die not acknowledging the love of God in their life. And look, the Lord will be broken over those who do not end up in heaven. But it doesn't mean he didn't love them. And they'll see these nine guys, they go. And it's a pattern throughout the Bible. Our sin nature can take God for granted. Really can, same way we can teachers and parents and friends and the simple things in our daily lives, we can take God for granted. The disciples did the same thing. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's borderline comical until you realize how sad it is. But he tells them, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, what's going on? The setting, the scenario, Jesus is going through the the craziest trial of his life and he says, guys, pray with me. And they begin to pray and instead they fall asleep. Fall asleep. It's in us to just kind of drift away. It wasn't on purpose, but we can accidentally drift pretty far from the Lord without realizing it. To give God glory. How would you guys describe this word glory? Anybody know? To give something glory, what do you do? Yep. Praise? Praise. That's good, good. Yeah, for sure. What else? To glorify something. Yep. Worship. To worship it. Okay, totally. Yes, sir. High honor. That's a good one for sure. Anybody else? Number four, and then no more. Got an almost hand? Magnify. <laughs> good one. It's to praise, to magnify, to celebrate. Okay, to celebrate, to bring honor, to adorn with splendor. I love all of these words. You guys ever use a magnifying glass? I hope you've had the chance to do that. It's just fun. I don't know how. It's just warped glass, but everything you hold it up to, it makes it look bigger. It makes it look more important. It makes it stand out uh, compared to everything else around it. Magnifying glass is awesome. And the Lord says that those who are his will continually say, let the Lord be magnified. I think it's Psalm chapter 71. To praise or magnify or celebrate, to bring, to honor, to adorn with splendor is to put God in the spotlight for a moment. You can't glorify in private. It's impossible. It's impossible. You can be thankful, you can express gratitude, but to truly glorify is a public act. You guys have all watched the Oscars or the Grammys or whatever, and you get awards for making movies and songs. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, the person that wins, you know, drum roll, and then the name is read out, and they're like, hey, come on up, and they come on up, and they start to glorify things. They start to say, I'd like to thank my mama and they're holding their trophy, and I just can't believe this, and I would like to thank you know, my producer, and I would like to thank, and they go down their list. That is what it means in front of everyone else, they're thanking someone for what they're being recognized for. That's what it means to glorify something. So when you're being recognized for something, turning and giving someone else credit is what it means to glorify. For you and I, we every day will have little itty-bitty opportunities to magnify, to glorify the Lord. When you get complimented, praise the Lord. You ever hear older people typically be like, praise the Lord, or God bless you, or, you know, it's like, what? What What is this? Praise the Lord every time I say something good. They're magnifying God. Every time someone gets attention, it's putting God in the spotlight. Well, this one guy seems to have no problem coming back and being, Lord, you're amazing. I know I didn't heal myself. Now, we could talk like, man, when I lifted up my voice from afar off, did you see how my voice carried all the way? Jesus heard my voice more than your voice. I was was calling out real nice there. Oh, come on. I was the first one to turn to go towards the priest. I I was the first obedient. I turned so fast, the rest of you guys took a while to follow. I led you over to the priest. You're why I got healed, really. Whoa, hold on a second. He knew this wasn't me. I mean, it happened to me, but it wasn't because of me. We'll glorify something. We'll glorify ourselves or we'll glorify God. But learning to praise the Lord. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Like it was extravagant. This guy fell down on his face in public in front of Jesus. And look at the progression. They started pretty far away and now he's at his feet. In the last part, verse 17 to 19. So, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Jesus answered, this guy's at his feet. Lord, you're amazing. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 who were cleansed? But where are the nine? Nine. Were there not any found who returned to give God glory except this foreigner? <laughs> and, and he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. He says, uh, who are you? You don't even belong here. You're not from around this place, are you? You're a foreigner. You're a Samaritan. You're a mixed breed. You're not really Jewish. You're not really anything. You're the last person that should have come back. Where are the other nine? See, it's not always about where you're from or what you've done as much as it is about who you are. Are you found putting your faith in Christ or not? And this guy, though he wasn't born in the right place, he wasn't born at the right time, he was an outcast for multiple reasons. Not only was he the leper, but he was a Samaritan, this guy that just didn't belong anywhere. And Jesus says, why are you at my feet? Where'd the other nine go? Apparently, they had something better to do. Something better to do. I don't know about that. Why don't more people love the Lord? It's a simple question with probably a handful of answers, but two of them, either one, they just don't understand who He is, or they know exactly who He is and won't surrender their lives to Him. There's really the only two answers. There's all kinds of things in the midst of it all, but at the end of the day, either we don't know the Lord or we don't want His love. For you guys, the decision has to be made. Are you just going to keep moving on through life, taking His love for granted, or will you find yourself coming back and putting yourself at His feet again? Think of this guy who shouldn't have been there. There's all kinds of people in the Bible who shouldn't have been there. The centurion we learned about a couple of weeks ago whose servant was tormented. And he says, Jesus, come and help. That's that was kind of an odd scenario and situation. This guy's a Samaritan. He doesn't belong there. You read a story that Jesus tells about a king. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A king who was filthy rich and wanted to bless all the people in his kingdom. And he says, he sent out his servants to go invite everyone and all make food. And this going to be a great celebration. But he comes back and the servants say, hey, look, everyone said they were too busy and they, they couldn't make it. Could, too busy and couldn't make it. That sounds like our culture. I have too much homework. I can't come. Oh, i got to help my dad with this project. Oh, i got to go over here. Oh, i got to do that. I got, we're so busy, we can't do it. So the king says, all right. If they want to miss out on the blessings, that's up to them. And he sends his servants back out with the invitations to the outcast. Uh, modern day would have been to those who don't belong, to the homeless, to the ones that are sick, to the ones in the hospitals, to the ones that just no one really likes. And they would come and have an incredible time with the king himself. That's what Jesus did on the cross. You know that? He paid the price so that all who are cast out, who are enemies of God by their sin, would be brought near because of the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it tells us But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Being saved is, I mean, there's nothing greater. But after that, it's learning to come back and to glorify God in all the little things. The response to glorify God, it wasn't a requirement, it wasn't even a request, which is probably why it's so rare to find someone who will truly glorify the Lord with their lives. I want to end this little poem I found. I think I know who wrote it, but I'm not 100% sure, so I can't say. But it's awesome. It's about giving God glory in just the little things you do in your life, all right? When you come across a fond memory, turn and give God all of the glory. When battle is won and to you goes the victory, turn and give God all of the glory. When anyone asks of your great story, turn and give God all of the glory. Very simple. To bring it full circle. And when the compliments come and people recognize something great in your life, take it and just, even if it's simple as like, oh, praise the Lord. Take it, right? Let's pray. Father, we, <clears throat> we recognize that we're oftentimes not too quick to push off fame and recognition. We're not too quick to open our mouths and to publicly display our faith in you. It doesn't change the fact that we love you, but if we were humbly honest, Lord, it's an immaturity that's got to go. And so, Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith, that you would teach us in those little things that you've triumphed over in our lives or the big things that you've just completely dealt with, we'd give you glory. God, that we'd be willing to turn back from the direction our friends go, turn back from the direction of the current culture and just find ourselves at your feet, thanking you for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, as we sing this song, it's not just what we do at the end of church. God, we want to take this moment and truly express, Lord, our thankfulness. The fact that we are still in awe of you, that we still proclaim our desperate need for you every day of our lives. And so, God, be our strength especially when we are weak. In Jesus' name, amen.